Hey podcast listeners, just me in the studio today, none of my other co-hosts decided to show up, I'm all alone, that's alright, I've got you. A couple notes before we get into this week's episode, we've been getting a lot of questions lately on regarding if we're going to talk about the tremendous amount of superhero television shows that are out right now, in case you're wondering what they are. I'm going to list them off to you right now. Agent Carter, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Daredevil, Powers, Constantine, Flash, Arrow. I think that's it. (laughs) There's a lot out. We would be doing episodes on them, but unfortunately we do not have a lot of time to watch all of them and then talk about them. But we did manage to all finish Daredevil, so expect a bonus episode regarding our thoughts on Daredevil in the near future. In anticipation for that episode, please tweet to Ben at Superhero MC who your favorite character in Marvel's Daredevil TV show is. We will definitely create some sort of tally to see who's the most fan favorite. In case you're wondering, for me, it's Leland Owsley, best character in the show. So, let's get right down to it then, to this week's episode on the Superhero Movie Club, Season 4, Episode 3, X-Men First Class. Enjoy, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Superhero Movie Club. I'm your comic book cultured host, Michael Maurer, joined by the movie maestro, James Skyler Houtsma, and the scientific scholar, Ben Anderson. Movie review podcasts are a dime a dozen. Here at SHMC, we cover everything else about the movies you maybe didn't notice, including budgets, music, source books, and even the science for your listening pleasure. This week, I hope you're ready for... Papa. What are you... I thought you wore a bug. I didn't mean to scare you, darling. I was just getting a snack. Go back to bed. What's the matter? I'll make you a hot chocolate. Who are you? And what have you done with my mother? My mother has never set foot in this kitchen in her life. And she certainly never made me a hot chocolate. Scared of me? I always believed I couldn't be the only one in the world. The only person who was different. And here you are. Charles Xavier. Raven. X-Men First Class. Oh. Oh. Right. All right. Going back to 1960, (laughs) y'all. I thought this came out in like 2012. 2011. Yeah. Wow, oh, this one is old. <laughs> it's not. Is this our first episode of? Did this take place in the sixties? Uh, no. We, oh, sorry. Um, I can't keep track. In fact, we're almost done with this season of two thousand eleven. Yeah. 
Oh, man. I've already done Captain America and Green Lantern. Oh, that's right. Okay. So first opinions. Let's go all, all the way around the board here. Go ahead, Skylar. To note, this movie is rough, but I still really like it. It's probably my favorite of the X-Men franchise. I There's a lot of things to like about it and a few things that are like, you know, this isn't held up. So shake things up. The thing I liked most about X-Men First Class, Xavier Magneto dynamic. I think that is perfection in this movie, and it's really what carries the whole thing. Uh, Something I didn't like about it, January Jones is pretty terrible. Uh, That's it. It's a little rough. She's not on her game for this one. No. You want to tune into some good January Jones, grab a Mad Men album. That was Emma Frost, Ben. The, the diamond lady. You can ask. Oh, yeah, okay. You don't have to whisper. I don't know the names of actors or actresses or anything. Okay. So that's, that's why, fine. That's why I whisper actresses. I was embarrassed to ask, but now I know I can. Um, is it my turn? Yes, it is. Okay. Uh, I really liked this movie. Uh, it had a, a lot of good, interesting philosophical points uh, that made about gay marriage, I guess. But also, like stuff war <laughs> like uh like uh like domination versus cooperation and it was just very interesting philosophically and politically um i feel like it was like exactly the wrong length for it to be really great it either needed to be like 20 minutes sh- shorter and like just a gangbusters action-packed blockbuster like the avengers or whatever or like an hour and a half longer so they could really flesh out and explore these philosophical ideas and get into like the Magneto Xavier dynamic um and the the characters interactions with each other. So this movie's like a hard-boiled egg, you know? It's it's good, I'll eat it. But I would really rather have like either a soft-boiled egg or better yet something <laughs> like an, an egg fried over easy. <laughs> so that it's 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 even tastier. You got this gooey center that's just just uh that you can really really savor. Or um take your take the egg, your hard boiled egg, coat it in sausage and breadcrumbs, deep fry it. Then you have a scotch egg, dip it in some mustard sauce. <laughs> I'm getting so far away from this metaphor right now. <laughs> no, like you either need to like spend less time on it so it has like it's really really just really tasty or even more time on it so that it's more tasty. But right now you just have this hard-boiled <laughs> egg and, and you eat it and you're like, this is fine, but the center is just kind of bland and crumbly. All right. Okay. I got to say, I don't know if I'd go that in depth with <laughs> with analogies there. Oh, I, wow. I really like food metaphors, if, <laughs> if you haven't noticed. I now have more ideas on how to cook an egg. <laughs> yeah. Although I hate eggs. So. Oh, man, try a scotch egg. Hmm. Yeah, they're really good. Uh, on X-Men First Class, I'd have to say, getting back to the X-Men roots, of course, of, you know, all that social commentary about, what is it, discrimination? The yeah. discrimination social commentary is pretty thick in this one, and it's been dying out since Wolverine. Right. And it's much better than X-Men Orchard's Wolverine, in case you were wondering. <laughs> yeah. Like, objectively. Because <laughs> it, Yeah. Uh, but I gotta say that that scene where Mystique and all those guys start naming themselves, I could, I almost had to like turn the turn like mute it for a moment. Rewatching that scene, it was a little rough. Every every, t- every scene where um, Mystique or Emma Frost said basically anything, I was like, oh god. <laughs> <laughs> all right, money. 
Money. Money. How much did Money. it take to make this film? Okay. X-Men First Class was made on a production budget of $150 million, which is... Below average? A little below average. It's, it's, it's a blockbuster on a budget. It is. And of that $150 million, it brought in 146.4 in the U.S., so just barely made its money back in America. That's solid, though. It's solid, for sure. Because you know that the foreign gross is going to be at least as much. Yes, absolutely. Um, in fact, it was a little bit more. Uh, foreign gross was 207.2, which brings it to a grand worldwide total of $353.6 million. That's not quite an international blockbuster, but it's definitely a domestic blockbuster. Now, how did that do when in terms of, like... X-Men Origins Wolverine, which which was the movie that came right before it and arguably the worst of the series. I'm glad you asked. X-Men First Class largely suffered from the franchise slumps. Going into it, you had two movies that were mm, crappy. Uh, X-Men 3 made a lot of money. It made a lot of money, but... It doesn't mean it's good. <laughs> it doesn't mean it's good. Billions of flies eat crap every day. Does that mean it's good? I quoted a movie I didn't even like there. So. Okay. <laughs> what movie is that? Birdman. But yeah, X-Men 3 made a lot of money, but that's because X-Men 2 is so good. As of four years later, X-Men First Class sits as the second lowest grossing X-Men movie in the U.S., just behind The Wolverine, and the second lowest grossing X-Men movie worldwide, just behind the original X-Men. Okay, but how much did X-Men Origins Wolverine make? Um, I believe off the top of my head it was at about 370... Six? So around? more than first class? Worldwide, yes. It made more. Ah, surprising. Yeah. Well, there's other things to consider here, too. For instance, this is the only X-Men movie to come out in June. All the others have been, like, first week of May, Memorial Day, and July. So, Oh. So, did, was X-Men first class swamped at all? Was it cramped it came, between any other big blockbusters? It came out one week before Super 8, two weeks before Green Lantern, a week after Kung Fu Panda and The Hangover, two weeks after The Lightest Pirates. So, I mean, it was it's fairly planted right in the middle. It's not like there was a huge one that yeah. took away from it, but there were a lot of... I was like, on the only part. one there was like, Kung Fu Panda was like the toughest competition in that list. Yeah, exactly. Super 8. I didn't... Uh, I guess Super 8 did make enough... A Super lot of 8 money. is one of my favorite movies of all time. Really? I, yeah, oh. and if you don't like it, you can go right out that door. <laughs> I know I, you're the I only... Didn't, didn't I don't like it. I know you're the only one who knows how to work, like, the mixer, but, <laughs> like, you can just leave. Yeah. But it had. It still came out with, like, about a $55 million opening well, weekend. that's solid. Yes, that's solid. That was more than even Super 8, so it seems like... The executives at Fox were pleased with it. Um, they Reportedly, they were shooting for an opening that was on par with the original X-Men movie because they wanted to start things over with this one. And I have a quote here that it was an excellent start to a new chapter of the franchise. So, didn't <laughs> Not much of a quote. I think everyone said that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's, it's widely known, apparently. So, my section, Yay! all right, who's ready for comic book source material and all of the characters that are introduced in this film, there are a lot. Sweet Jeebus. Uh, first of all, though, the plot of this film is loosely based on the comic book X-Men First Class, about the first five actual X-Men, Jean Grey Marvel Girl, Cyclops, Beast, Iceman, Angel, and Professor X. So, of those... 
Not a single one was in first class. Beast. Beast. Sorry, you're right. Beast and was Professor in. X. And, and Professor X. Okay, and, so two. Uh, and for most of them, it takes until two movies later from them to actually show up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, but when I say loosely based on this comic, by the way, uh, just takes the title. That's it. <laughs> Nothing to do with the actual plot. It yeah. just took the title from that book. So that's pretty much it in terms of that. But in terms of characters introduced in this film... There's a lot of them. <laughs> Sweet baby Jay. My goodness. Skyler, I'm going to need your help on this one. I'm going to go rapid fire. You just give me a name, and I'm just going to talk about the comic book character and maybe a little bit about uh, their differences. Okay. You ready? Yes. Give me the first one. Riptide. Riptide was made in 1986. He is a human tornado mutant. As you can see, he is not really a human that makes tornadoes like he did in the film. Like, he can just, like, wisp it up with his finger. Yeah. But he actually had to, like, spin himself. Had almost no lines in the film? Yep, no lines. No lines. Okay, moving on then. Azazel. Azazel was made in 2003. He is a demon demigod. The father to Nightcrawler, and Mystique is the mother... That will n- probably never be touched on in the X-Men film universe. No. Nope. With good reason. Also, Azazel is practically a god because his only weakness is that he can stay on Earth for a very limited amount of time. That's about it. Like, almost nothing else can kill him. Well, I mean, like, nothing can... That doesn't even kill him. Next. Emma Frost. Emma Frost was made in 1980. This is the real Emma Frost. I know we've seen her before in X-Men Origins Wolverine, the kid version of her. When did that movie take place? 1970s? Uh, late 70s, early 80s, something like that. Yeah, so... And this is the 1960s Emma Frost. is a full-grown woman, and that one... Yeah, the dire- the directors and writers have said this is the real one, so it's like kind of like a movie retcon. She has a huge role in the X-Men as like a previous villain, now X-Men, like headmistress of the school type deal. So she's got a lot going on that you can just read up on her. She's also like the sluttiest of the X-Men characters. Her costumes are... Um... <clears throat> Memorable. Yes, they are. <laughs> Next. Sebastian Shaw. The last of the villains we have here. He's made in 1980, part of a Victorian secret society known as the Hellfire Club. And he's got that power, as you saw in the film, absorption. It does include physical and energy absorption. But I don't know if he, like, it's not as he describes it or has how they portray it where, like, he just contains a grenade in his hand. His body just absorbs it through his skin, and he looks like a 300-pound Benjamin Franklin. That's how he dresses. So that's... he. Oh, that's way cooler. They should have done that. I know. <laughs> Kevin Bacon didn't really want to do that. Why not? <laughs> Next. Okay, Angel Salvador. Angel Salvador, a.k.a. Tempest. They kept her real name instead of giving her her code name in the film. She was made in 2001. She has six kids with a character named Beak. Which, if you look up what Beak looks like in the X-Men universe, it's pretty fun to see their relationship. Uh, she also now has fire ice powers instead of just acid spit and insect wings. And she's not a traitor as they, well, like, a defector, I suppose. No one's a real, real traitor. She just defected to Magneto's side pretty easily for the film. But next, Darwin. Darwin, made in 2006. There's forum debate on whether or not Darwin can actually die in the comic book world because he just adapts to every danger around him. So much so that, like, if a situation would kill him and he can't adapt physically, he just teleports away from that situation. 
It's like that. It's like the the AI that learned how to play Tetris. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> there, there's there's a there's an AI that like learns how to play NES games, but when it, they gave it Tetris, it like figured out that the only way it could not lose the game is if it paused it on the last frame before the block. Oh, awesome! <laughs> cool. Yeah, yeah. He's got a reactive evolution power, so it's pretty fun. Also, yeah, he's not dead in the comic book world. But and it's kind of cliche that they killed the black they guy. They killed the black guy <laughs> in X Men First Class. Well, it is the sixties. <laughs> Next, no. uh, Banshee. Banshee, nineteen sixty seven. Way back, super Irish character. He's got that thing where he can scream, but he's mostly famous for actually getting depowered for a long time and hooking up with Moira McTaggart. And there's a long run of comic books where Banshee doesn't have his superpowers anymore. He broke his voice. So they didn't even attempt to make him Irish in the film, I don't think. No, he was just derpy American. Yeah, he was just some kid. <laughs> Next. Havoc. 1969. Uses cosmic energy to create red, weird blasts. Sort of like Cyclops does, because you know what? He's his brother. What? But here's oh. the thing. He's his younger brother, and this movie takes place in the 60s, like we've said, and older Cyclops, you know, they were just, they really do not care about comic book continuity. So this threw a lot of fans for, for a loop when they made Psych- when they made Havoc the older brother by like 20 years. They didn't even say they were brothers. No. They, like, they say, did no they say Alex Summers' last name? They say nope. Alex Summers? I don't think they ever mentioned his last name, no. Oh. Well, that's it. Those are all the characters that were introduced. <laughs> Why don't we... Well, first, round of applause. Yay, we made it. Don't worry, there's going to be more of those as we get to (laughs) X-Men 1 and all of that. Oh my goodness. You mentioned a little bit of continuity confusion. Let's get to more of that! Yay! Uh, Oh, you're talking about Moira McTaggart? Probably Charles's paralyzation. Oh, Charles is not paralyzed in X-Men Origins Wolverine when he gets off the plane. Again, takes place after First Class. But he is paralyzed at the end of first class because of a bullet. Which, by the way, in the comic books, he's paralyzed because an alien threw a rock on him. So That's I'm right. glad they didn't do that. That's B- fine. Bullets are bullets are kind of like small rocks going very quickly. <laughs> and I don't know, Magneto's an alien, kind of. Alien I mean, to the well, not, race, not well, human. This alien was he doesn't, named he doesn't, Lucifer. So, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> well, Lucifer is kind of like a Zazel then. So. No. no. Um, oh, also, remember the opening scene of X-Men 3 where a totally not paralyzed Charles Xavier and Magneto go to see Jean Grey. Yeah. So This movie is just a reboot, but nobody, like, confirmed it out loud. Well, they... The, actually, a lot of people confirmed it out loud. I take that back. Yeah, pretty much. They were just like, we're starting over. And now, with Days of Future Past, it's like... Now we started over in the movie universe. So it's the first retcon of films, right. of a film universe, because it's got that complex and expansive and confusing and wrong. Well, they, although, to be honest, if there's one like comic book universe where there's just all kinds of problems with continuity that you can pretty much ignore because it doesn't matter so much as like the characters themselves, it's, it's X-Men. Yes. Right. Yeah. All right, that's it for comic books, unsourced material. Skylar, spell me. Spell you? I will spell you. Y-O-U. 
<laughs> with the music for <laughs> or, or did you mean did you mean your name i think it's m-i-c-h-a-e-l that's correct yeah uh, does mean you're gonna buy me chipotle because i won <laughs> you still owe me money whoa oh yeah Damn. i don't have any cash oh ben Damn. all right sorry continue on music for x-men first class written by henry jackman we talked to about him a few episodes ago. He's since uh, done the score for Captain America, The Winter Soldier. This was kind of his big breakout uh, role, or not role. It is a role. Well, he played a role in the movie, yes. I believe he's worked before with um, Matthew Vaughn, the film's director on Kick-Ass. Sweet. But this is, you know, a bigger undertaking. And quite an enjoyable one, too, if... If I may say so myself. You picked I, out five songs. I picked out five songs because it shows you how much I like it. Let's start off with the theme itself to X-Men First Class, appropriately titled, well, First Class. <laughs> You got some good standard superhero theme there. Very uplifting. I've heard it used more than once in like when the NFL goes into season. Really? Yeah. That's that song. Pretty much, yep. <laughs> that song of all of them. But as I, interesting as the uh, the X-Men sound may be, I think it's the uh, sound that Jackman came up for Magneto that's got the most hook to it. And we can hear that in its most prominent, well, at least until the end, uh, form in the track called Frankenstein's Monster. I have way too much fun with that track for some reason. Uh, next track I have on the dock is kind of more incidental music. It just has a big part of the beginning that I think is pretty neat. It's the track called Rise Up to Rule, and it's when Sebastian Shaw shows up at the CIA's house and just makes mincemeat out of them. <laughs>
jamming track. Yeah, it is. It gets less jamming after that, which makes me sad, but I just think that part's neat. Now, as far as like how the uh, the score itself is put together, fairly traditional, but it also has pretty strong elements of you know electronic. You can hear the guitar in there. You'll get every once in a while some kind of house music influences, which we'll get to at the end of this segment. But did Jackman use this much electric guitar in Captain America? Yes, I believe so. It's it's kind of a uh, hallmark of his, but I think it works in this case because I've said before. With the setting of this film, you're kind of in that mid-60s era where the Bond movies are starting to come out and you see that incorporated into more movie music. And I think it fits pretty well in this instance. So let's hear an example of that with the track X-Training. go back and listen to the beginning of that because that's just like yeah it's it if there's one thing i really appreciate in a matthew vaughn movie thus far is that dude can put together a pretty good training montage and jackman's music pretty much drives that home very well so you heard in that one you got your electronic influences and with the final track i've got on the the docket which is called magneto that's where you can really tell that Electronics is where Jackman came from. Oh boy, this is a loud one. Yeah, it is. is a sick theme yeah it is i yeah i've said it before but i can't say it enough i have a lot of fun with this soundtrack if you're looking for a poppy yet kind of throwback kind of neo film soundtrack this is a really good example of it boom anything else on music scour you want to touch on do i do i do i i don't think so okay cool 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 ben yeah how you doing over there I'm fantastic. How are you? Good. Thanks, buddy. Good. I'm yeah. doing very well. Is there anything you want to talk about before you before you get to the meteor science segment? Because I know you've only got like one one set here. <laughs> There's only one thing I really want to do, but you, you mentioned stuff before we were doing the show. I can talk about some of those if you want. Just hit me with it. Okay. Uh, acid spit. Angel Salvador's power to spit acid. Yeah. So... Can humans do that? We, I mean, we well, kind of talk. We can vomit. Yeah, <laughs> um, and that's got some acid in so it. So if you can control that and 
you have a mutation that gives you a particularly nasty stomach acid, then sure. What? Yeah. Okay. Uh, That's pretty cool. Havoc's power. Oh. Oh, wait. He absorbs cosmic energy. Sorry. I didn't mean to give you that one. It's magic. He has a mutation that gives him magic powers. I don't really want. Uh, <laughs> like, I don't. I don't really want to do that. Uh-huh. Darwin's ability to have reactive evolution. Yeah, that's not really how evolution works. It's a slow process that takes. Uh, actually, less time than than you'd think. Here's an interesting. Here's an interesting thing about evolution. So some, uh, some researchers dropped a species of lizards off on an island in the Mediterranean. I forget if it was Crete, if it was Croatia, which isn't an island. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, they dropped all these lizards off to combat some invasive species, which I think is a little dubious because you introduce a new species to c- combat the invasive species, and then all of a sudden you have two invasive species. But anyway, so they introduced these lizards to this island. And then there was some kind of civil war or something, and they couldn't return to the island to, like, check on, the, like... Oh, I thought how... the lizards had a civil war. No. Like, well, like we're getting to awesome. that. <laughs> no, the, the, the residents of the island, there was, there was some kind of war or civil strife, something like that, and the researchers couldn't get back to the island for, like, 20, 25 years. When they finally did, they found that the lizards they had introduced had evolved sufficiently that there were now two distinct species of lizards, one ground-dwelling, one tree-dwelling. And they were separate species because they would not breed with each other, like, naturally. Awesome. So Darwin's just able to develop those traits super fast to survive. Yeah, again, it's not how evolution actually... I don't think I... <laughs> I don't think any, we really need to say that mutation and evolution is not how it is in the X-Men universe. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that should go without saying. Um, All right, um, let's get to the big topic. The big topic. Okay, what I really want to talk about. Because the biggest thing I want to take away from this film is Banshee has the ability to scream really, really loud. Mm-hmm. And because of that, Charles Xavier says scream at the ground and you will be able to fly yep the dealio give the, me the dealio the dealio like is that a thing that could happen if you yes if i if if someone were able or a machine even was able to scream loud enough to be able to is that how sound waves work yeah so sound wave is just a fluctuation in air pressure if you make that um big enough then you can create shock waves and we all know what shock waves do Boom, boom. There's, you can feel the force of them. Uh, and so, yeah, if you have something shouting at the ground loud enough, the, the pressure there is, is strong enough you can lift it up. And actually, acoustic levitation is a technique they use in laboratories um, to levitate things without a magnetic field. Acoustic levitation, they use it in manufacturing uh, pharmaceuticals, microchips, uh various chemicals levitating a microchip with sound so you can make it it's not magic anymore well well, because like you want you want to have the microchip floating so you can keep it like free from contamination Mm. but you can't put a mag you can't do that with magnets because then you'll just wreck the microchip so so you do it with sound um most systems use ultrasonic frequencies which means they're outside of hearing range but current systems can lift up to a few kilograms. 
in pounds, uh, a few kilograms, like 10 pounds. Whoa. Okay. That's pretty yeah. heavy, actually. Yeah. It's it's more than I – I was picturing, like, oh, you can suspend a, a paper clip. Like, or, like, a. I was thinking, like, a particle, like a dust particle. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's – but, yeah, you, you they, they, it can get pretty heavy. Also, I just want to clarify, there's – in that scene where Banshee's jumping off the building, Professor X is like, all right, now make sure that you're, when you shout, it's supersonic. And I was like, man, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> like, <laughs> because supersonic means traveling faster than the speed of sound. And sound can't travel faster than the speed of sound. <laughs> because of, like, how we define something to be, you know, the speed of sound. <laughs> So I was just like, oh, Professor X, you mean ultrasonic. <laughs> I, I just imagine he, he actually does su- scream supersonic and just explodes into ribbons. <laughs> or like screams the word supersonic. <laughs> and then falls and supersonic! breaks. Supersonic! <laughs> and then falls and breaks his legs. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so come on, Professor X, you know better. The thing about Banshee's power, though is that there is a lot of unrealized potential with it because there's so much cool, so many cool things you can do with this, with really loud sounds. All right, give it to me quick. Uh, first of all, the scene where he shatters the pane of glass, Professor X is high as hell again because that was just a shockwave shattering the glass, not resonating the glass because what you can do with that is you can take a pane, like a, a, a plate, and then pour a little bit of sand on it and put a pin through it and then find, like different frequencies and at different frequencies the the it'll levitate or it'll it'll shake it'll the vibrate plate, which, and then the sand will move around and create really cool patterns which <laughs> is what happened in the next movie actually with quicksilver on the glass in the pentagon Ex- yeah so yeah that's really cool too third of all so- this is the coolest one sonoluminescence this was discovered um in like the 30s when people were doing kind of what banshee was doing when he was looking for the sub but they wanted to figure out a way you can use sonar to take photographs. And so they put a sheet of photosensitive paper in a tank of water and then shot sound waves at it. But when they pulled it out, they found, like, little dots all over the paper that shouldn't be there. And they studied this some more, and they realized that if you have a bubble suspended in some liquid and you excite it with some sound waves in just the right way, the bubble will collapse and give off a flash of light. Why is it giving off a flash of light? It's not really understood all that well, and it's kind of hard to study. The flashes only last for like a tenth of a nanosecond, and they're pretty dim, all things considered. Um, but you're the, still making light out of like nothing. That's that's what's weird about it. Um, the current theory is that when the bubble collapses, the gas inside of it is compressed very, very quickly, which heats up the air to 20,000 Kelvin. Oh my gosh! That's that's about at like a microscopic about, level. Yeah, like these are tiny, tiny bubbles, um, and that's like three to four, three thirty to forty thousand degrees Fahrenheit, which is three and a half times hotter than the surface of the sun. Sound is scary. Sound yeah. Is, oh my goodness. So, sound is really scary, and I feel like they could have done some really good comic book science with that, and had Banshee like I don't know, give off flashes of light and stuff. Yeah. When we get to talking about a movie called The Losers, we're going to get back to sound because there's a big plot element of that oh, yeah. involving sound. So I've never seen it. Yeah. Um, you will. And 
usually they, they study sonoluminescence in these carefully controlled laboratory conditions, but it actually occurs naturally in the world. When pistol and mantis shrimp hunt, they strike with their claws, and their claws are going supersonic, and that compresses the water in front of them so much that the water boils, ca- creates these tiny bubbles, which then collapse and give off light. Awesome. So, that's neat. So that's, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, and one more minor thing, though. Son- they're, they're called, I don't know if there's a name for them. I call them sonic cones. But when an object breaks the sound barrier under the right atmospheric conditions, the, the shock wave of them breaking the sound barrier will, will produce this, like, cone-shaped cloud behind them, which if you watched Man of Steel... Oh, yeah. There's there's the scene where he's flying around, and then there's, like, this... And then the... the thump, 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 and then he... And yeah. then, like, this cone-shaped cloud condensates beneath him, and then he just shoots off. Mm-hmm. That's That happens in real life. There's some pretty cool photos of, like, fighter jets doing that. So that, that's, that's all I got about sound, but, yeah. So we're probably going to breeze past fun facts... I, Unless you're really digging, you really want to dig that fun fact. We only I, have one, right? I, right. Can I read it? Very much like this show now, I guess, this movie had a super tight production schedule. <laughs> yeah, uh, apparently Matthew Vaughn was still shooting this movie in like February of 2011, four months before it actually was supposed to come out. So when you see that some of the special effects in this movie are kind of crappy, that is why. Okay. Yeah. Also, this movie is responsible. Of... Wait, no, we'll get to that. Oh, okay. Oh, yes, because because of, of this, this movie. movie, Jinx. Well, <laughs> bravo, gentlemen. Ah, bravo. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm proud. All right. So, who wants to start us off? Because I didn't prep. Okay. Oh, shame on you. Because of this movie, I ate about like 20 grilled cheese sandwiches over spring break. <laughs> <laughs> because of this movie, we learn once again that uh, money kills. Because the coin, it went oh <laughs> ah fun fact huge continuity error when we first see that coin in the very beginning of the film it's the Nazi eagle symbol on one side and just the letter X on the other but at the end of the film it's a normal Nazi coin that's weird yeah it's a weird continuity it, error it's like they put the title of the film on that one side of the coin for the fi- sake of putting the title of the film on that but then forgot to put it back the second time you see it. I really it's want. Weird. I don't get why they made that decision. God, because of this movie, we got two very fun cameos. No, of what's his face and what's her face? Hugh Jackman and the chick who played Rebecca Romaine. Yes, Rebecca Romaine, who has not been in anything since 2006. Well, she's a model, okay. so she's got that going for her. Right. Because of this movie, uh, we got the very well, not very short, but we got the pairing of Jennifer Lawrence and Nicholas Holt for about three years or so oh yeah usually i'm on couple game but you got me with that one i did scoop because of this movie uh people thought i had a really bad magneto cosplay when actually it was a really bad sebastian shaw cosplay (laughs) (laughs) wait who did they think you were they thought i was magneto i was just sebastian saw shaw okay yeah well it's like the same thing just the helmet yeah it's the only thing different unless you want to be comic book sebastian shaw and what you would look like Mutton chop, 300-pound guy. <laughs> oh, man, I don't weigh that much. <laughs> because of this movie, we got back to the oh-so-subtle hammering of the social parallels. Mutant and proud. <laughs> I wonder what that also means. What could it stand for? What's a gay pride? <laughs> because... Oh, there was an allegory in this movie 
I can't believe I didn't see it at the time. Oh, dang. <laughs> because of this movie, I, I failed to pick up on the allegory, even though it was really explicit because I'm just real dumb. I don't think that was because of the film. <laughs> because I'm real dumb. Okay. Switch, like, switch that around. Because um, of this movie, fanboys are still crying that X-Men will not go back to Marvel's hands <laughs> because they are now in a successful turn. Yeah. <laughs> Good point. Because of this movie, we got the pornographic film XXX Man First Ass. <laughs> oh, can we wrap it up? Yeah. As soon as we talk about <laughs> pornographic material, I need to cut you guys I, off. I can't follow that. <laughs> I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Superhero Movie Club is recorded and produced in the that's my line of KMSU in Mankato, Minnesota. That's I stole my it line. from you. No. <laughs> oh, no. Now we have to keep rotating the same direction. So, Mike, you're doing the next one. Uh, if you want to tweet any questions to us or just continue the discussion on this show's topic, follow us on Twitter at SuperheroMC. Make sure to subscribe on iTunes so you can catch every episode as it comes out on Friday. Oh, and like us on Facebook to keep up to date with us throughout the week. Next show's topic is Thor. Thor. It's Thor. It's Thor. Thor. <laughs> like I said, normally we have reactions, but we're just like, ah, that's the next one. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's, we're still very excited about this podcast. Yes. <laughs> it's Thor. We're excited. Yes. You uh, should be too. And, oh, that's you. That will do it for today. I'm your host, James Gutter-Hotzma. Michael Maurer. And I'm Ben. Have a super week. I don't like doing it out of order. I know. I almost, I almost read like, I, oh, am I Michael then? <laughs> which, which, um, which on the outline here is spelled my, my cake. Mitchake. <laughs> Mitchake. <laughs> All right, fine. Just for continuity's sake, have yourself a super week. You're at the gates of human evolution, don't you wonder?